to BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. My name is Alex Hokuli. I'm in Sao Paulo, as usual, and it is uh, Thursday, the 15th of February. So uh, the episode that came out last week, you'll have heard that we spoke to Vedi Hadiz about Indonesia's history, its social formation, and look forward to the election, which uh, just happened yesterday. So now this is going to be the second episode we do on Indonesia and its elections. You might ask yourself why, but uh, as the title of this episode has it, and the previous one too, it's the biggest country that no one actually really talks about. It's the world's fourth largest country by population. It's in the top 10 economies by purchasing power parity. Uh, And then yesterday, Indonesia went to the polls on the 14th of February, and this is the world's third largest democracy. And it stages what is, I think, the world's biggest single day general election. And it's also a very young country. Young people made up the majority of voters, 55% of them aged between 17 and 40. Okay, so who was the winner? Well, as you heard uh, on last week's podcast, it was already pretty clear what the outcome would be. Uh, it was Prabowo Subianto, um, excuse me for the pronunciation. Um, so what's been the response to this? I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, winter is coming, exclaimed the Guardian uh, in response Never want to miss an opportunity for some cheap pop culture reference, which is completely irrelevant to the place, but whatever, you know, there we go. Uh, CNN said, uh, ex-army strongman leader claims victory. The BBC said, what can Indonesia expect from its new strongman leader? So it's kind of a clear theme there. Um, And as one kind of popular tweet had it, uh, as expected, Prabowo is winning. Welcome to Indonesia's dark age. Oh, and fuck Jokowi. Um, So um, that... There's a lot of stuff to be explained there, Um, and uh, I'm very happy to have someone who will be able to explain to us in depth what exactly is going on in Indonesia um, and place it in its historical context. Indeed, a country which seems to be keen on erasing its own historical context, but we're going to come on to that. Uh, Michael Van, uh, delighted to have you. Uh, For those of you who don't know him, he's a professor of history at Sacramento State University and the author of The Great Hanoi Rat Hunt, Empire, Disease and Modernity in French Colonial Vietnam, and that came out back in 2019. Uh, Mike, welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm I'm delighted to be here. I've been a been a fan of you guys for a while, and um, also got to have you guys on the New Books Network uh, a few years yeah. ago, and that was a fun chat. No, it's so it's a um, very belated uh, return invite, I think. Here, um, <laughs> so like to get to get stuck into it. I'm well. You 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 mentioned you were doing some um, like grieving drinking, or I'm not sure exactly what you called it in response to <laughs> Indonesia's election results. So um, let's let's start with the emotional aspect. Why, why what what prompted that? Yeah, I was uh, self medicating some emotional trauma at the election results. Um, you know, those, those of us who are Indonesia watchers and Indonesia lovers, I mean, uh, most Indonesians are just totally captivated by the place for for all the cliche reasons, which we won't go into, but <laughs> there's a fantastic list of things. Well, no, never, go, go into the cliche reasons. Never, Sorry. It's, well, it's, 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 I think it's, it's worth it because people don't, aren't familiar yeah. with... Yeah. 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 Well, um, I mean, it's stunningly gorgeous. And, and, and by the way, you guys nailed it with the title of the last episode. It, it is the largest country in the world that nobody talks about. And 
as someone who's been uh, working on Indonesia um, since I was an undergraduate, actually. And it was uh, my discovery of Indonesia is why I became a historian uh, and wanted wanted to become a historian in high school because mm. it's, it's an incredible place. I mean, so you know all all the cliches about just the incredible beauty in the of natural beauty of the place, the incredible cultural diversity, well over three hundred and fifty different languages, not dialects, but languages. Everyone speaks Bahasa Indonesia as a, as a lingua franca, but that's for most people not a language that they speak at home. They speak Javanese or uh, Bahasa Madura or Balinese or what have you. Um, the, the the natural beauty, the diversity of culture, the, um, the, the fascinating history. I mean, that's what got me into it. Was uh, actually as a high schooler seeing uh, the Year of Living Dangerously, and as a sixteen year old, I'm like, "What is this place? I want to learn more about this." Mm. Um, so there's just so many draws, um, and it's you know, just incredible. But there's also these these great cliches that we're not supposed to talk about, <laughs> like the year of living dangerously, and never mention shadow puppets as a metaphor. <laughs> Don't mention volcanoes. Um, and uh, you know, journalists always have these stock phrases. Like you'll always see, uh, you know, they'll reference, uh, say, Prabowo, the uh, the president elect, and uh, they'll uh, journalists will say, well, it, many Indonesians go by one name, and which is quite common. Um, but anyway, it's, um, it, it's just, I think one of the most fascinating places and also so politically important over the course of the 20th century and economically important, um, throughout several, uh, centuries of history. Um, I would argue the origins of capitalism lie in the Dutch East India company and the spice trade. And that's what the Dutch were trying to get to those, uh, those spices and that created the, the need for, um, stock exchanges and, and, all the the financial mechanisms that we know today. So anyway, I'm I'm a big promoter of uh, of Indonesia and, and the study thereof. No, great. I mean, I think um, it's worth yeah, as I say, it's worth underlining that just because um, it does get kind of strangely brushed aside in in kind of global pictures of of, of everywhere, right? And many smaller countries have a much larger, more important profile than Indonesia does. So I've always been curious as to why that is, and kind of taken a while to get around to actually doing an episode um or several episodes on 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 the country but um anyway yeah, i figured yeah. we take well, the opportunity I, I think part of that may also be uh they, they weren't colonized by the right country to get on the map you know the, <laughs> the netherlands doesn't quite have the same footprint in the academy um many of the, uh, mm. the for historians the archives are going to be in dutch and that uh, so much post-colonial research follows the old colonial flags. You have to learn French to do Vietnamese yeah, history yeah. or a good chunk of Africa. And so that's kind of marginalized. There has not been a major um, Indonesian diaspora as with, um, say, the Philippines or Vietnam, uh, what have you. Um, and also, I think that – something I think we're going to talk about. I think that the, the Suharto regime was very good at sort of pulling Indonesia away from the spotlight after it had been in the spotlight mm. under uh, the nationalist uh, president uh, and populist president, Sukarno. I want to kind of start by the most recent events. So start with the election itself. Uh, so Prabowo, um, as you pointed out to me that, you know, he's ran in 2014 and 2019 again. And in those campaign videos, he comes off as well, a military authoritarian as he is. Um, and in his most recent kind of campaign videos and, and the persona he's brought, tried to bring to the campaign, he's like this kind of cuddly, maybe a bit populist grandpa. 
So um, how has he how has he affected this, and who is he really? Yeah, th- this is one of the more amazing um, political reinventions uh, of a candidate. I mean, so I was looking at old campaign footage from 2014, and he's literally a man on horseback. Um, I mean, he's he, he was a, a you know a, a decorated officer, and and um, looking at some younger uh, photos of him, I mean, was was fit the part. I mean, he's, he's now sort of chunky as, as, as many of us get, as we get older. Um, but, um, he was, you know, like, you know, sort of like, uh, Donald Trump's, uh, vision of what a, a general should look like, you know, this strong, powerful guy. And, right. and so in these campaigns in 2014, and I think, he, I think he brought the horses back in 2019, but he he's literally a man on horseback with, um, some sort of fascist looking, um, uh, imagery. And there was even a campaign video that came out in 2014 that is just absolutely appalling. And I urge all the listeners to, uh, to Google it, uh, Pro Bowo, uh 2014 campaign video, where um, they had a, a handful of um, Indonesian uh, pop stars um, singing to the uh, the music from We, we Will Rock You, but singing uh, Pro Bowo Hata, uh, that his name and his um, vice presidential running mate's name and it's it is Nazi imagery. One of one of the pop stars um, has a an SS style uniform on, and so that's that's the guy that we have been thinking of in terms of Probovo for for you know decades now. And this is this is this is in his twenty first century career, right? I mean, his twentieth century career is involves um, uh, a, a, an extensive military resume, which we, we can talk about. And now this reinvention for this campaign, and it started about a year ago, and he is presented literally as this cuddly grandpa. The Indonesians are using the slang word gamoy uh, for, it literally means cuddly, like, like I think the connotations are like, it's so cute, you just want to squeeze his little cheeks, right? And he's been appearing not on horseback, but at these um, these rallies that are like music parties with like... Dongdu, which is this uh Dongdu, it's this like popular um kind of folk pop music that's a little risque. It's got some um Indian Ocean rhythms. Um, I don't know quite how to describe it. Um, but he'd be, be dancing and dancing in a really weird, awkward manner. Uh n- not as awkward as Donald Trump's uh dance where he's doing the things with the ghosts in his hands, but um, but this sort of old grandpa dance where he's like kind of doing like Javanese kind of like folk dance moves and not in uniform in a casual shirt and real man of the people. And this took off on um, Instagram and especially TikTok and won over this like key voting demographic that you mentioned um, this, the stats on how many Indonesian voters are below 30 years of age and he won them over. And it's just, it's mind blowing. I think that Folks of my generation, I mean, I'm in my mid fifties, and um, uh, who remember the 20th century, and um, so folks in their fifties and forties are are much more nervous about this guy because they remember previous elections, um, and now he's this cuddly grandpa. And then you know, he so he lost to he lost to um, the current president Jokowi twice when they were both running for president in 2014. And then again in 2019. And when he lost in 2019, he refused to concede. And he had his thugs, uh, Preman, um, 
uh, Preman is um, uh, a gangster. If you've seen The Act of Killing, the Josh, the incredible Josh and Oppenheimer film, it's the the Premons are the guys that go out and do the killing, and 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 he profiles the Premon who are these like they're racketeers who have political links um, in uh, in Indonesian society. Anyway, he, he unleashed Premons in the capital, and there were deadly riots for a couple of days. Um, but now we've got this cuddly guy that is, is and then in the 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 image they're they're using is is again not Proboa on horseback, but AI generated um uh cartoons of him looking like you look just looking so gamoy, you just want to pinch his little cheeks. I mean it is remarkable. I mean, even just you read the basic biography and his implication in kidnappings and in of pro-democracy demonstrators at the end of the nineties and things like this. I mean, it, I find it especially shocking because I mean, I'm looking at this from a from perspective from Brazil, where there was also military dictatorship um, over a similar sort of period, where there was the military back in power, you know, either directly or or as it was, you know, through Bolsonaro, kind of indirectly, but getting a lot of military people in government and and in and in the st- kind of civilian arms of the state, but no one would have been into them for being cuddly <laughs> like that would have been a that would have been a several steps too far in terms of trying to um re-ennoble the image of the of the brazilian military so I, I find it quite um shocking but i also i also have this you know the images that i have of indonesia are also like things like from the act of killing which is to say quite very limited but you have those images of like the panchasila youth of you know kind of a par- paramilitary youth group which are like three million strong or something like that and um with imagery which is like very not it's not the kind of um you know old stand-up kind of um military kind of honor or whatever like that's not the image that is conveyed it's much more aggressive um sort of fascistic image that that that's conveyed and so i don't know enough about indonesia to really cast too much judgment on it but looking at it from from afar and just a kind of few kind of images it's like wow this is something which is very normalized it seems uh the fascist aesthetic is incredibly normalized um and that um you know that uh, campaign ad using the Nazi imagery didn't raise too many eyebrows in Indonesia. It was um, internationally where people were were appalled. And um, one of uh, I've got a slide in um, one of my lectures that I give on, uh, on Indonesian history, talking about recent politics. And it's a picture I took when I was um, working at a university in Central Java in Yogyakarta at University Tuskajamada. And it's a vendor in front of um, the Sultan's palace, and he's selling posters. There's a bunch of posters uh, on the side there, and you've got the Beatles, and you've got One Direction, and then you got a poster of Sukarno, uh, the the first president of Indonesia, national nationalist hero, and then you got a poster of Adolf Hitler, and then you got a poster of the Beatles, and you <laughs> right. could go down and and and, and you know is it One Direction or Hitler? I don't know what I'm going to get today. Okay, I'll, I'll get the Hitler. Um, and very little understanding of the history, but the image, the image of, of strongman in uniform, commanding presence, and the knowledge that Hitler was a strong leader, um, has it, it has this circulation that is is wild to um, people who are um, from other cultures that may have um, a, a different historical memory of that era. Um, and I, you see that's this fascist imagery um, in all sorts of places in Indonesia. 
Um, mm. And at, so at the I'll, same I'll time, think- yeah, yeah, and, and that runs counter to um, sort of the uh, what is generally a, a very refined and um, uh, polite uh, uh, popular culture. The Indonesians use the word halus, and halus is sort of uh, aristocratic, kind, gentle, welcoming. It's a, it's a Javanese mm-hmm. value, and really contrasts that with uh, kasar. And kasar is like sort of gruff, popular, and and politicians, Indonesian politicians, are always very, very halus and, and very sort of uh, gentle and dip, very diplomatic. But at the same time, there's this fascination with these uh, figures of power, totally out of historical context, totally out of mm, historical right. context. And even but who are just you know, convey strength and um, yeah. power and yeah yeah and even you know so even Sukarno um, the uh, the left of center very communist party friendly uh, first president of Indonesia um, who had a, an ideology of Nasikom, nationalism communism and Islam he was going to get those three together and, and that was that was his state ideology he adopted all sorts of fascist imagery. And there's a um, there's a great anecdote uh, in one of Benedict Anderson's uh, works where he talks about uh, being a translator at a cocktail party for diplomats in the 1960s, and Sukarno was was saying, you know, it's good to be a nationalist. You know, look what Hitler did for Germany. You know, he went in there and fed all these Germans who who felt 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 really sad, and he made them feel good about themselves. And so I want to I want to do that. And like he, Anderson's translating that for these diplomats, and they're just appalled at what this guy is saying. This is like oh, right. 62, 63, maybe 64. And then the, you know, the 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 famous book, novel, and film title that we're not we're not supposed to uh Indonesians aren't supposed to reference because it's such a cliche of the the year of living dangerously. This was a speech Sukarno gave. Uh, uh, the year before he was overthrown, saying the Indonesian people, we're going to live dangerously, and we're going to, you know, it's sort of like Mao with you know bomb bomb the bureaucratic ramparts kind of thing. That's lifted from Mussolini. He plagiarized Mussolini um, and Italian fascism on that that year of living dangerously idea. So there's 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 this current there that's that is across Indonesian politics, and so it it's what makes this reinvention of Prabowo who would be the epitome of that strongman. I mean, again, look at the old campaign f- uh, photos with, with him on horseback. The invention of him as cuddly grandpa, um, stroke of genius. But I don't know. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not in his inner circle. Maybe maybe he's gotten gotten more, more good boy age. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's sincere, you know. Maybe, maybe you know, I'm just being paranoid here because um, well, I'm, most so of I, I mean, I do want to ask you. Concerned. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to ask you whether this is, um, you know, aesthetic, cultural, or if there is some kind of deeper, truer political reality that that kind of that these images speak to. But before we get on to that, because um, we'll do that in in just a little bit, I did wanted to ask what his, you know, what 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 his rule will be like. Um, I'm just having a look a little bit at what some um, foreign press said. So the, the Financial Times suggested might, there might be concerns about populism, but by that they just mean some costly campaign pledges. Um, also, possibly his nationalism might put off Chinese investors. Uh, the Foreign Affairs said that Indonesia's democracy is stronger than a strong man, so Prabowo will find it difficult to, to rule as an authoritarian. Um do you think those takes are are correct? I mean, how how do you see it? And also, how strong is he in the legislature? 
Yeah, yeah. No, the, I mean, the, I mean, some of those takes are across the spectrum there, and um, uh, also in the intro, you uh, you threw uh, you should throw the guardian under the bus with the uh, the um, the winter is coming reference. Yes. I, I, I yes. technically, I think the guardian was quoting um, uh, Amnesty International Indonesia. Um, so, oh yeah, no, I'm yeah, they, no. They, 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 they were quoting they, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> They they, they but, were, but it's still really cringe. So I'm, I, know. It's, it's, and I won't it's miss cringe. an opportunity to kick the guardian. <laughs> Fair enough, but they, but it was it was a human rights organization. It was either Amnesty International or or um one of the one of the local uh, organizations. Um, well, we don't know, but his track record um and his public statements over decades are openly hostile to uh to democratic institutions. Um. He, uh, in an interview a number of years ago with, um, Alan Nairn, he, um, he said, yeah, maybe, maybe Indonesia needs fascism. Maybe, maybe I should be a fascist. Maybe that is, that is something I'll embrace. And this was, this was an interview about 10 years ago, um, based on his behavior in 2019. I think there's no reason to think that he's really modified too much. Um, but this process of the president in Indonesia gaining more power and being more centralized uh, has been going on in this last term under Jokowi. And Jokowi um, has uh, done a number of things, uh, making it much more easier to um, go after people criticizing uh, the president or other elite politicians, um, uh, restricting human rights. Jokowi um, Went back on. Uh, he really stabbed the um, uh, the KPK, the um, anti-corruption organization, in the back. He really sort of, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, emasculated it. It's, it's lost a lot of its power. Um, so I think, uh, you know, if Propolo does can, does start to centralize power, it this isn't a huge rupture. I think this is continuing a trajectory that has been developing in Jokowi's second term, which. Um, for many of us who were, I'll admit, I was, up until up until more recently than I'm co- comfortable admitting, I was still pretty optimistic about uh, Jokowi uh, being this reformer. Um, and uh, this past uh, past two years have just been the opposite of that. Um, well, so so let's of, let, let's get on to him because because you, you called him uh, Indonesia was Obama, and it's also worth noting that his his son. Is now the the vice president to 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 Prabowo, right? So um, there's something right. there's something going on there. That's I, I want what, what would be the the U.S. equivalent of that? It'd be like uh, one of one of Obama's kids, like running, uh, being like Trump's VP or something, or uh, Hunter Biden. Uh, oh, maybe that's it. The Hunter uh, Trump ticket. We could really do something in there. Right, right. That would be <laughs> that would be cool. That'd be cool. That would be that would be that would that would be society of the spectacle right there, um, yeah. Um, well, okay. So, so two things going on. You know, what uh, what has been Jokowi's uh, trajectory, and then what's up with this wild alliance that we we've, we've seen in this election between Jokowi and uh, Prabowo. So, I mean, Jokowi, um, his background uh, was that he was the first uh, national politician who was not from this old guard elite. And um, all the other p- leading political figures come out of Suharto era politics and have connections to Suharto's new order, this dictatorship of uh, 32 years that only collapsed in 1998. And Jokowi came from, you know, 
modest middle-class background, a city in central Java. His family um, were furniture sellers. And he became the mayor of this town, uh, Solo, also known as Surakarta in central Java, and um, was a was a fairly popular mayor, and um, then ran for governor of Jakarta. And that's kind of an, a, a curious trajectory, because he's, he's a local politician in central Java, and then he runs for the governor of the capital city a couple hours away. But for... In, in the past couple of decades, the thinking was that being governor of Jakarta was a way to move on to the presidency. And he was a fairly effective uh, governor of Jakarta, and he was, had to, he was uh, famous for um, wearing flannel shirts and being a heavy metal fan and uh, sort of this uncorrupted <laughs> man, of the, man of the people. And um, he would do these um, on-the-spot visits um, where he would just show up in an area where the there were some social issues and just talk to the average people and just hear the average people. And it's great, you know, it's great photo ops. And then he would, you know, motion towards some sort of policy that would help them out. And he went on this incredible political trajectory from mayor of this town in central Java to governor of Jakarta. After one term there, he ran for president of Indonesia and won in 2014 against Probowo. And it was a real, it was a pretty bitter election. The 2019 election is even more bitter and even more polarizing. Um, and Jokowi is is uh, Jokowi uh, presents himself as um, you know not corrupted and not part of the old elite. And for much of his much of his uh, presidency, he he was. I mean, this is this is he is he's really good on on not being not having these corruption scandals uh, up until these past couple of years. Um, most of his corruption, uh, like the two big corruption scandals, were both um, Metallica-based uh, uh, corruption, <laughs> both heavy metal-based corruption, where um, he, he received a guitar from uh, that had been played by Metallica and um, uh, as a personal gift, and, and the uh, corruption agencies would say, no, you can't do that. That's a personal gift. And so he donated it to the people of Jakarta, and they put it into a special park, and that won him even more popularity. And then I think a Swedish diplomat gave him a box set of some uh, very rare Metallica albums. Well, wait, wait, till, wait till Metallica there. find out that he hasn't been paying for their songs or albums, you know, then that'll be, <laughs> yeah, that'll be a real after. scandal. Well, he got on stage when they played. Uh, he got <laughs> right, on stage right. when they played. And, and you know, there, there's a lot to be said about Indonesia, uh, heavy metal and politics. Um, I was living in, in central Java when Guns N' Roses played and they came out to uh, a totally... Uh, black stage with a spotlight on the guitarist who was uh, playing Indonesia Raya, the Indonesian national anthem. And the audience just went crazy. And I didn't know this happened. The next day, I'm just going to the 7-Eleven and everyone's stopping me like, yeah, America, Guns N' Roses, thank you so much. <laughs> and like hearts and minds through through heavy metal there. But, um, and, and, and Jokowi was a heavy metal fan. Like his big boost came from this local metal band called Slank. Uh, supporting him, which I had, I had recently was told it was kind of on a whim that they supported him, and that, that gave him this popular appeal. Anyway, Joey was this uncorruptible figure that was from the old order, and then had this really nasty uh, election in 2019, where again Probowo, you know, started riots. Um, and you know, he was he was doing a January 6th kind of kind of thing before uh, before it was cool, right? And um, he. Uh, 
Jokowi responded by bringing Prabowo into his administration and made him minister of defense, which has been a pattern in Indonesian politics. It's, uh, I don't know, a team of rivals kind of thing. <laughs> but um, Jokowi had not done much of this in his first administration, but he did it. Uh, he did it in 2019. And that gave, um, that, that, that created the opening for this rapprochement between these two. And over the course of this administration, the second administration of Jokowi, he and Prabowo have become closer and closer. And um, also it's worth noting that when he made Prabowo Minister of Defense, Prabowo then was able to visit the United States uh, for the first time in I think about 20 years. The U.S. had refused to give him a visa because of uh, Prabowo's human rights record. But when he was Minister of Defense, the Trump administration said, well, we got to let this guy in. Um, and that's, so that was his first visit to the U.S. in, in I think, 2020. Um, All right, yeah. He wasn't even allowed to see his son graduate from college in, I think, 2012 in Massachusetts. Um, so, yeah, the, I call Jokowi the Indonesian Obama because there was so much optimism that this outsider would come in and really change things. And especially by the second administration, not much has changed. And indeed, he's increasingly bought into the existing power structure and also acting in a more and more authoritarian way. And so as he gets closer to Prabowo, his, his defense minister, um, and we start to move towards the election, it's clear that Prabowo is going to run again. Um, and there's two other presidential candidates, um, one from Jokowi's party, who's a very nice but totally forgettable guy from central Java, and then um, an, another politician, Anis. And Anis has another one of these very, very quick upward political trajectories like, uh, like Jokowi. Uh, he's uh, American educated. Um, one, of, one of my friends was his professor in, uh, at Northern Illinois University. Um, very sharp um, uh, study, uh, political scientist. Um, and he, uh, he became governor of, um, of Jakarta, but he got to that position by attacking Jokowi's, who had been Jokowi's secondhand man, uh, a, a Chinese Indonesian politician uh, who goes by the name Ahok. And when Jokowi was president, or excuse me, Jokowi was governor of Jakarta, Ahok was his vice governor. And when Jokowi left to run for president and then become president, Ahok became the governor of Jakarta. And here we start to see some identity politics come in. And Anis um, used um, uh, uh, Muslim identity politics to just as a, a shorthand there. I know, I know that's mm. – <laughs> we, can, we can unpack that for hours, right? I don't want everybody coming at me for that. But, but basically using uh, Muslim identity politics um, to go after Ahok, who is ethnic Chinese and Christian. And it led to um, – there was a, a – a cell phone video of Ahok giving uh, giving a speech where he he was saying saying something about it an Islamic uh, a verse from the Quran that um, uh, it was it was just it, it wasn't anything that controversial but that clip was edited in a really amateurish way I've, I've watched it a zillion times I don't know how anybody could be convinced that it wasn't edited and to make it look like he was um, engaging in blasphemy um, and that led to this. Uh, mobilization against Ahok 
And, um, uh, Anise really rode that to power and, um, uh, beat Ahok in the election. And then Ahok was found guilty of blasphemy and spent a couple of years in jail. And this is the end so that, of um, Ahok's political that's career. A, that's a big transgression of, of norms then. Like that would be something that which would just rule you out everywhere um, in Indonesian politics or a conviction of primarily blasphemy. in Java. Or, huh? Yeah. 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 No, that was, yeah. That, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that, that was a bit of a career ender there, uh, and 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 spent a, a couple of years in jail. And I think that the judge gave him more time in jail than the prosecutors were asking for, and it was, it was really scandalous. Wow. And so An- Anis, this who's now governor of Jakarta, had been using that you and continued to um to use these popular demonstrations in in Jakarta. Uh, they were huge. I mean, just gigantic demonstrations on on Friday after Friday prayers, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people dressed in white and these these big demonstrations. And um, this was Jokowi's political ally that uh, Anis took down, Ahok. And so um, uh, Jokowi definitely going to make sure that Anis doesn't come to power because uh, Anis is uh, the three presidential candidates were Prabowo. Anis and then um, uh, Ganjar, the um, the uh, the guy from Jokowi's party, and um, Jokowi decided he's going to put his thumb on the scale in favor of Prabowo. He uh, turned his back yeah. on the candidate from his own party, who um, they kind of shot themselves in uh, Jokowi's party, kind of shot themselves in the foot. Um, the The power broker for that party is Megawati Sukarnoputri who in Megawati is the daughter of President Sukarno. She briefly served as president, um, but has receded from electoral politics to be the power broker, right? And last year, she um, uh, uh, had um, Anise, uh, or not Anise, but uh, Gibran um, come out and oppose um, uh, Indonesia hosting, allowing the Israeli soccer team for the FIFA under 20 league come to Indonesia. They said, no, we're not, we're not going to allow the Israeli team to come. And that, um, uh, backfired tremendously and led to, um, Ganjar's, um, uh, uh, approval in the polls tanking because, uh, FIFA responded by saying, okay, you're not going to let a team come. We're not sending Mm. this tournament to Indonesia. And, um, love of soccer was, uh, more important than uh, fanning um, the flames of, of anti-Israel uh, political sentiment. Right. Well, hello, listener. I hope you like what you're hearing. It's a short excerpt from an episode that's available only to subscribers. Want to support BungaCast and get at least two original episodes a month? Sign up at patreon.com slash BungaCast right now. $5 a month patrons get access to exclusive episodes like our in-depth analyses of present history. You know, the big stuff that's happening right now. As well as chats with our regular guests, extended interviews with the key thinkers trying to understand our world today, and much more. For $10 a month, you join the BungoCast Reading Club, the place for those of us who are serious about equipping ourselves with the necessary intellectual tools for understanding the world and seeking to change it. Phil, George, and myself, Alex, look forward to seeing you there. Patreon.com slash BungoCast.